0: And today we have Jesus and the outcast, the untouchable, the person who doesn't fit in any caste system, the outcast. You should easily ask, what's 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 this about? What what is I'm trying to avoid the word religion, but let's just use it. What is religion for? Who is religion for? For whom is religion? In chapter 3, we had the, the best ever, a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who came to Jesus, uh, and this guy is uh, perfect, squeaky clean. He's one of these, basically a Hasidic Jew, completely orthodox. These guys honestly, literally lived such a rigorous life. They knew things like how many letters are in the Hebrew Bible, And they could literally say, and, you know, some of them did say this to Jesus. Jesus said, well, you know, uh, have you kept the law or some question like that? And they said, yeah, as far as I know, I've completely kept the law. I mean, these guys are amazing. You know, and this guy comes to Jesus, and, of course, Jesus says, oh, I'm so happy to have you here. Have a seat. Can I get you some tea? Is there anything I could do? I'm just, just hoping somebody like you would finally come. You know, Even if it's at night, it's okay. I mean, I, I know you're busy, etc. cetera. You know, you're bending over backwards, right, to get this guy into the kingdom. No. He, he says directly, yada, yada, yada. I don't care what you say. You've got to be born again. <laughs> In fact, he uses the plural there. You all are in, in Texan all y'all. All y'all. Seriously, it sounds a little weird, but that's the verb in Greek. All y'all must be born again. Every all of you Pharisees. You're the you're the cream of the crop, probably. You're a ruler of the Jews. You gotta start over. That's verse 7, 3, 7. That you there is plural. It's not a personal thing, Nicodemus. I'm just telling you that the entire human race is wasted. <laughs> I don't have anything against you personally. <laughs> but the entire race is a mess. You all have to start over. And you, the, the, the Holy Spirit has to rebirth you. By, by the seed of the word, we're born again. So... It's to the Jew. The gospel is to the Jew first. To the Jew. This is actually a Romans chapter 2 and 3 outline, too. You know, you you Jewish people, you think you're so great. <laughs> you're sinners. Well, how about these pitiful Gentiles who are constantly living lives that are messed up and embarrassing. They don't even know who's the father of their kids what about them? They're really messed up, right, Jesus? (laughs) They're the real sinners, right, Jesus? (laughs) No, it's to the Jew first. The gospel is, you are a sinner. You must be saved by faith in Jesus alone. It's the same message to the Gentiles, to the outcasts, to the Samaritans. You must be saved by faith in Jesus alone. So we had, in chapter 3, the gospel to the Jew, you all Must be born again. Now we have the gospel to the outcast, the woman at the well, the Samaritan. And it's such a filled and wonderful passage of scripture. I'm in in no way planning to preach on the entire thing today. Uh, We're going to break it up into a few parts as God gives us opportunity. And so today I'm going to essentially look at John 4 1 through 19. So allow me to read it. Um, I, I don't know, sometimes I interrupt myself. I can never predict. So uh, It's very dramatic. You know, and if we had had time, we'd have written a whole play and had actors here, costumes, etc. But sort of, let's enter the theater of the mind and see if we can reconstruct this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Verse 2, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. See, Judea is down south. It's right around Jerusalem. Galilee is up north. And he is going to go there. Now, the next verse is very cool. It says, and he had to pass through samaria he had to pass through samaria now john is an awesome author and and he's inspired by the holy spirit and he means he i bet he thought through every single word he chose <laughs> he, he's writing this at, toward the end of his life he's thought about these things all these years and he's including stories that weren't in the other three gospels and it's really cool that he chooses this word He had to pass. It's a little Greek word, three letters, D I E, day, and it's always used for some weighty necessity, some big responsibility. Honestly, in John, it's always used that way. For example, may I say, you all must be born again. That's the same word. Must, it's necessary. It's inevitable and necessary. This has to happen. So John, the awesome author, is choosing to tag us here to get us to think, oh, something exciting is going to happen. Jesus is choosing to go, and he has to go through Samaria. See, in a factual way, that's not true. He didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, Really good Orthodox Pharisees would never go through Samaria. You might actually touch a Samaritan in that way. You might see a Samaritan in that way. There's nothing to eat. You can't drink. You've got to just drive through. You lock the doors when you're going through this part of town. <laughs> you ever do, done that as a kid? <laughs> we moved to uh, New Jersey in the early 70s. Every once in a while, we'd drive through New York City. You know, just, my parents didn't like it very much. But in the early 70s, in the mid-70s, New York was a horrible, violent place. It really was. It's much safer now. But we'd drive through certain neighborhoods and Dad would say, lock the doors. (laughs) Right? It's it's just scary. We were scared. Um, That's the way these Orthodox Jewish people would think. So literally, honestly, they'd go all around the outside of Samaria. But Jesus had... Another plan. (laughs) He had to meet somebody special, didn't he? He was going to have a conversation with somebody. So it was divinely necessary for him to go through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. That means high noon. Sun is high in the sky. This is an arid, dry, dusty place. And they're walking. They're on feet, on foot. He's slumping over. I would be, anyway. Maybe Jesus doesn't slump, (laughs) since that's not even a a word, you know. (laughs) But he's there, and he's exhausted, and it's high noon, and he's very thirsty, and he's by this historic well. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. (laughs) For his disciples had gone away, into the city to buy food, so they, they went into Sychar. Jesus is all alone by this well, and he says to her, "No, no, please, or if would you mind if just give me a drink." <laughs> it was shocking, by the way. Look what happened to the, with the Samaritan. The Samaritan woman said to him, "How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria?" And John wants us to know why. Why would this happen? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You know, no dealings. You would never never drink from a cup that a Samaritan touched. You would would not ever use the plates that they had used. That's the extreme separation that they had. This is a, a huge text about racism, really. The the Jews were very racially prejudiced against the Samaritans. Why is that? Well, you see, the Samaritans ethnically came from amalgamation of the people that the Assyrians, Assyrians brought into Israel when they took over Israel. The Assyrians violently captured Israel in 722 BC. And they would repopulate. They'd come in and take people out and kill a bunch of people, and then repopulate. They would demoralize the, the uh, local color and the local culture by bringing in lots of other cultures into the area. And that's what they did. This is historically well-known and documented. And the Samaritans were um, descendants of these forced immigrants from the Assyrians and some of the local Jews, too. They were still semi-Jewish. They had a semi-Jewish religion. Uh, you know, from a, like a Christian point of view, we would look at some other of these para-Christian groups, and we would say they're, they're cults. They use part of the Bible and they take part of it out and they make their own thing. Oh, well, that's exactly what the Samaritans had. They had their own, and in fact, uh, there's about 1,000 or 700 Samaritans alive today. And every once in a while, they go up to Mount Gerizim and have their worship services, just like they did back then. So this Samaritan woman is puzzled probably surprised and maybe even irritated, dumbfounded. Uh, And I think there's a sense of humor in, in her. As we read through this, probably you'll see this. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? You know, I, I honestly think it's this little barb here, a little jab. She thinks it's ridiculous, this, this Jewish guy uh, claiming to give us sort of living water. You, know, you, think you're, you think you're so hot. You think you're, you're better than Jacob? little does she know right are you better than our father jacob verse 12 he gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock jesus said to her everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, "'Go, call your husband and come here.' The woman answered, "'Oh, I I have no husband.' Jesus said to her, "'You are right in saying I have no husband, "'for you have had five husbands, "'and the one you now have is not your husband. "'What you have said is true.'" (laughs) Suddenly this woman, (laughs) you know, the walls just fell down. What in the world, how in the world could he know this? And her next line is just just, uh, perfect, right? The woman said to him, sir, and actually the word there is kurios, lord, but they've translated it nicely here because she's not talking about Lord God. She's using it in the sense of sir. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, (laughs) you know things that you shouldn't know. Now, I think the next thing is uh, her trying to obfuscate, get off the subject quickly. Let me ask some religious question. You, You think you're a prophet? Okay, well, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She probably points to, I think it's Mount Gerizim. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. It's very arbitrary, right in the middle, but we won't have time to discuss. The, 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 we'll be back here, Lord willing, okay? We'll be back uh, next week, open this up a, a lot more. Let's just look at what we've read so far. You already, you already get the gist of what I'm trying to say, for sure. There's a huge contrast between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. But the wonderful thing about the gospel is the message is the same to both groups of people. Uh, Jesus is the Savior for the whole world. Uh, Remember it says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. He's the Savior for all. And we'll look at this some more next week. But at the end of John 4, John 4, not at the end, uh, the last thing about this uh, um, story, look at it in verse uh, 40, let's see, uh, there it is, 42, 42, the people of, of Sychar say, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So there's, the, there's a theme that John is pulling through. Jesus is the Savior for all. So let's look at this Samaritan woman. She's outcast. Uh, she is Samaritan. We talked about that, how they were racially prejudiced against this race. And I already filled you in on some of the details of that. Notice that she's, I think she's shamed because no woman in her right mind goes out at high noon to draw the water. We know from history that they would go out early in the morning or late at night. You don't draw water unless you want to be alone at the well. Here's a woman that people like to talk about, right? All the community said, oh, there's that woman. Or there's that woman. You know, Let's keep our husbands away from her. She's a problem. She's a problem. Uh, she's been married so much it's embarrassing. And uh, she is, she's a mess. And she's shamed of this. She is ashamed of this. But she is sinful, too. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is kind to her and gentle. We'll talk more about this a little later. But the Bible is not, is not coming to her and say, listen, your lifestyle is fine. You can come to God just as you are. You don't have to change. Uh, he'll accept you. The way you are, or in modern American language, you know, this is the way you were born, so therefore, it must be right before God, because you have this propensity toward this sort of lifestyle or this sexual preference, then therefore, that's the way God made you, and we will affirm you, we will welcome and affirm your lifestyle. No, the Bible does not teach that at all. In fact, the Bible teaches a high view of marriage a very high view. From the very beginning, marriage is between a man and a woman, and the goal always is one man, one woman. Monogamy. Not not even serial monogamy. Not you know, I'm monogamous for five years, then I have another monogamous relationship for five years, another monogamous relationship for five years. No, the goal really is, the the high ideal, and it's terribly difficult at times, or all the time, is to work on your marriage and make it work uh, without going to divorce. Let me read. This is from, for example, I bring in evidence. And <laughs> I get here. I'm laughing because this is a huge subject. And I can't fully cover it at all. I just want to kind of hit on it real quick to, sh- to prove this point, that Jesus is, Jesus is not saying to her, listen, I don't care how you live, I just want you to love me and add me to your life. Now, he's l- he's calling her to change. He's calling her to repentance. And here's John chapter, excuse me, Mark chapter 10. Mark 10:2. 10, the Pharisees uh, came up and in order to test him asked, "Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife?" He answered them. This is Mark chapter 10. What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So just this morning, I heard on uh, National Public Radio a report about uh, African nations. They, they're, having, um, they're moving forward toward legalizing polygamy in many African nations. Uh, partly, it comes from two sources. One is Islam. Islam supports polygamy. And the other is native cultures of Africa support polygamy. And uh, uh, also an aspect of that is divorce. And I heard this report. I don't know if any of you were listening to NPR this morning. Uh, they, it was from an Islamic context that a man... It was, and they, it was, these were the child brides of, of, of one particular African nation. These are 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls who are made into... Brides, and the man can marry them and then divorce them, and then, then they're a mess. Then they become prostitutes, essentially. They have no other way of supporting themselves. It's a horrible, 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 sinful mess that our whole globe is suffering with. Uh, unfortunately, it's always, it seems sort of more obvious in another culture, but this is the plague of America as well. Uh, the, the lack of stability at The marital level at the marriage relationship. So this is what Jesus said. Uh, They said, "Well, yeah, you know, Moses uh, said you could get a divorce." And what I heard on the radio today: you you say to the girl, "I divorce you. I divorce you. I divorce you." Then you give her a piece of paper that says you're divorced, and that's it. You you wait for three months, make sure she's not pregnant, because if she's pregnant, you get to have the child if you want the child. You own her womb. This is abusive and wrong. Christianity is absolutely opposed to this. We we believe in honoring men and women as God has created them. And a, a Christian husband is dedicated to his wife and will stick with her and will learn to love her. It's a basic command: husband, love your wives. God made it real simple: love your wives. And it's singular, okay? (laughs) Uh, It's husbands, love your wives. Okay, so verse 5. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's that you're so stubborn. You're so willful. The hardness of your heart, he gave you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Okay, Gender is not a choice. You can't choose your gender. You know, What's going on? I mean, seriously, I saw an article this week that said the most abusive thing that an obstetrician can do. I'm not kidding. What's to say you have a boy? You have a girl. That's abuse. You can't assign gender. <laughs> you let that person decide the gender. Uh, excuse me, every single cell of his body is gender-specific. <laughs> Can I hear amen out there? <laughs> I mean, we're going berserk. We're going crazy out here. The woman at the well is in no way saying this lifestyle is acceptable. Yes, Jesus was kind and gracious, and there's forgiveness for her as there's forgiveness for Nicodemus for all his pride and arrogance, his racism. If he repents of his pride, his arrogance. And his racism so anyways continuing with what Jesus said from the beginning of creation God made them male and female God made them you can't choose otherwise therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast It's to cling to to hold tightly to your wife it's a blessed thing it's a wonderful ride the giant dipper stay in the car hold fast that's a huge uh, roller coaster in Santa Cruz. It's sad. You know, I'm so close to Santa Cruz, and none of you. How many of you have been on that giant dipper? Ah, a few. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, that's, he says, Hold fast to your wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Or as in weddings, let no man put asunder. So that is, the, that is the standard. It's still there. She is sinful. Jesus is gently confronting her, but he's confronting her, no less. And yet I also like her because she's seeking. She could have just turned him away and gone away. But she's there, she stays in the conversation. Uh, Watch for people who stay in the conversation. Uh, The people who who don't wanna talk to you, I mean, what what can you do, you know? But if they stay in the conversation, even if they're completely cantankerous, completely uh, from the other point of view, you stay in the conversation until God shuts it off. Okay, that's her current condition that's an introduction to it. She has everything against her. And we as a church, we, uh, you know, I'm my own, I'm, I'm a child of the suburbs, you know, uh, comfortable, and the Lord blessed me to be a child of the church. I was, I was in church when I was like three days old. I honestly, I know this is kind of weird, but I basically haven't missed a Sunday since. I mean, maybe once or twice. I'm not kidding. Okay, maybe ten times. But literally, we always go to church. I was raised that way. And I, uh, My first 13 years of ministry, I was a hospital chaplain. But every Sunday, we went to church. I taught Sunday school for... 13 years plus in a church in San Jose. And then later I'd go to the hospital. A Christian goes to church. I'm a church-going guy. And by by God's grace, I've never been an alcoholic. I've never been a drug addict. I haven't been a fornicator. You know, so I'm in a different social level from this woman. It's different. I'm just as bad. I need salvation just as much. But it's different, right? Maybe it's pride, arrogance. It's other things that are my problem, but, and, and we as church, the, the American church, tends to favor the suburbanite. You know what I mean? They're just a little easier to work with. And we have to take Jesus' example to, to look for the Samaritans, look for the people with really complicated lives, and love them. And, and know that the gospel is for them. We preach salvation. We sing about a God who saves. He, he's here to save you from this. You know, he, what he asks is you believe, you repent, and you believe. You say, I, I, I want to stop living for myself, and I want to live for him. I want him to be my all. He paid a high price, so we are owned by him. We live for him now. See, that's the gospel. It's salvation to all. And it, I don't know if I, I don't even have any sociological evidence, but it feels to me like our culture is getting less and less clean, less and less maybe that's a bad word, but culturally speaking uh, less and less uh, uh, monogamous monogamous less and less monogamous, right? Less and less, one man, one wife, 40 years, 60 years together. Less and less. So we as a church need to learn to love people that are coming from a different culture. Learn aggressively to teach the gospel to all people. All people, the Samaritans, the shamed, the sinful who are hopefully seeking. So finally, look with me at this, this beautiful thing. Jesus makes her an offer. It's an offer she should not refuse. What does he offer her? He says, I'm going to give you living water. This is a beautiful thing, and it's a theme that will be developing in John over the next several months that culminates where Jesus says, I'm giving you myself. I'm the bread. I'm the blood. Eat me. Take me. You know, You take him wholly, completely. He is the living water. But here he says, I'm going to give you living water. Drink. Make it a part of you. Take it. Any, he will. I mean, which, which part of this sentence do you want to preach on? You know, every part. Every single word. It's not even a sentence. Yes, it is. He will give living water. <laughs> Could have a period there. Is that right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> which part? He will. Give! He's giving it away! <laughs> Don't you love those crazy infomercials? There was, for several years ago, there was one about some newfangled medication, you know, that's just really amazing, you know. And, and uh, they, were, they were giving away samples of it, right? And they go out and interview uh, <laughs> several people, and they interviewed this one lady. She said, they're giving, o- giving it away. It must be good. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, that's American logic right there. <laughs> it's in a box beside the road. It's got to be good. <laughs> you know, dig into the bottom of this trash box. <laughs> so I'm not using that logic. But I'm telling you, it is good. And he is giving it away. You cannot buy it. Leave your checkbook at home. He gives it away to those who ask. Just ask. You could have living water. And here's the thing, the water meets our needs. The glorious words, listen to the word of God, you will never be thirsty again. It's a huge promise. He's saying if you you get into him and drink the water And you're filled with him. He will quench your thirst. You'll never be thirsty again. He completes every need we have, fully and sufficiently, because he is full and sufficient. Of his fullness, this is words from John. Of his fullness we have all received. And grace upon grace. How full is full. (laughs) How full is full. Uh couple of years ago, actually a long time ago, I was out rowing around on a little rubber raft on a, a lake called Lake Del Valle, Del or Del Valle. Uh, it's over by Livermore. You've heard of Livermore? Yeah. It's a town in California. <laughs> there's this lake off in the woods, and, and we were just, it's a, a man-made lake, and we were kind of rowing around by the, by the dam, and um, there's this thing about three feet above the water it's this huge round thing probably a, a diameter of 12 or 14 feet and uh the guy with me I said what what is that thing and he said that's that's the overflow drain because Lake Del Valle is in this sharp valley and although in the summer it's completely dry and tall brown grass everywhere in the winter they get some crazy rains over there and this water comes tumbling down into this lake and that lake can fill up by feet in in the minutes you know it can overflow and that you need this huge drain so it doesn't overflow the dam and I thought, wow, you know, I'm glad I'm not here during a rainstorm. You know. That just reminds me of, of what Jesus is talking about here. He meets all our needs. You will never be thirsty again. He's completely, infinitely adequate. You know, Here's the beauty of, of our faith. It's not do more, do more, do more. It's done. It is finished. You know, we're not here trying to be good. We're here repenting of our sin and begging for grace. But we're not trying to be good because we trust the goodness of Jesus Christ. It meets all our needs. The water provides for others. Remember I said I was welling up with tears. I got that from a little study of this this word welling up. Because I think of a well as, you know, 300 feet in the water. 300 feet in the ground, rather, and there's some water sitting down there, and you have to pump it up, right? But when you turn that word into a verb, uh, it, it becomes a spring. Here it is in uh, verse 14. The water that I will give you will become... See, there's a process there of growth. But the goal, you know, this is one of those amazing goals. What is Jesus' goal for every single Christian? is that you and I become a water source. Not the professionals, not the pastors, not the people who went to seminaries. Everyone has the Holy Spirit in us, so He overflows and becomes an abundant, and it wells up with living water available for anybody. We're portable water sources. Desalination plants in this salty world Okay, maybe it doesn't work. but <laughs> And that's this beautiful word here. I will, and the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's a process there. To well up means to rise, to spring, to gush. It, it wells up inside of us and overflows. And then finally, I've already indicated this, we must repent to have the water. You know, Jesus gets, gets her to the point where she says, okay, I'd like to pray the prayer. Okay, I'd like to take this water. It's not quite pray the prayer, but you know what I mean. She says, okay, give me a drink. Give me this water. Where? Let's see now, it's down in verse 15. The woman said to him, sir give me this water. And again, she says, yeah, I'm getting sick and tired to come to this well. <laughs> I think there's a little joke here for her too. And that's when he gently confronts her. He says, there's an issue. We have to be real here. And you have to deal with this issue. You have to come clean to God. You have to know why you need the Savior. You have to admit your sin to him. So she says, he says to her, bring your husband. I have no husband, this amazing interchange. And I think in a gentle way, not confrontational, she's, he's not mean or ugly, but he brings the issue out that she must turn to him and turn away from her sin. We must repent to have the water. Jesus, when she says, give me the water, she, he doesn't say, okay, great, pray this prayer after me. He says, yes, but there's issues in your life you need to deal with before you can have the water. This is the gospel. We repent and believe. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for letting us have an opportunity to introduce ourselves to this fantastic story of this gracious, wonderful word that the gospel is for all people. The gospel is not an American thing. It's not an American invention in any way, shape, or form. It's not an invention of the suburbs. No. It's for all people, oh Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, help us as a church to be able to love each other, to be patient with each other. Help us to learn to talk to each other and not about each other. Lord, we pray that we will learn to to love one another and encourage one another to love and good works. Give us that water, oh Father, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.